Hello, I'm Kathy. And I'm Gary. And this is Torah Talk. Welcome to Torah Talk, the intersection of the mundane and the miraculous. Here we have bold conversations about faith, culture, and politics, and where we fit into God's plans in the 21st century. If you could partner with God, would you? In the time of Nicholas Copernicus, the heavens and all that was in them revolved around the earth. This was not a belief that needed to be argued. It was simply an observable fact. Every day the sun rose in the east and set in the west. Every month the moon circled the earth in a regular cycle. Every year the stars moved across the earth's sky and returned to their starting place. People could see this with their own eyes, that everything in the heavens revolved around the earth. Scientists, mathematicians, and philosophers affirmed it. Religious doctrine did too. There was, however, one small problem. The known planets, the course of their travel through the heavens did not follow what could be called an orbit around the earth. Sometimes they went backwards in the sky instead of forwards, and they did not move at a regular speed relative to the earth. They moved in continued defiance of the science of the day, the theology that sanctified it, and the common sense that upheld it. The ancients had wisdom, but there was an unsolved problem with their cosmology. Those who followed the ancients stayed within the traditional cosmology, but adjusted it and modified some aspects of it. They modernized it. These changes made the system more accurate, but they did not confront the real problem. The system, the cosmology, the conceptual scheme with the earth at the center, the ancient tradition itself, was wrong, irremediably wrong. No modification or adjustment could change that. Long ago, God declared his redemptive plans for the world he created. Unfortunately, most people have ignored these plans. Now, as the end draws near, believers and non-believers are being irresistibly drawn to the celebration of the biblical feasts which outline God's plan of redemption for mankind in the world. If you found yourself curious about the biblical feasts and you want to know how and why Christians celebrate these holidays, read Declaring the End from the Beginning our past and future revealed in the biblical feasts. In this book, author Kathy Martirosian delves into the history and culture surrounding the biblical feast days of ancient Israel, as well as how Yeshua, our Messiah, has fulfilled four of these holy days in the past and how he will fulfill the other three when he returns. Visit TorahTalk21.com to purchase Declaring the End from the Beginning, our past and future revealed in the biblical feasts. What Gary read in the introduction were excerpts from chapter one of a book called Copernicus and the Jews. Gary and I have both read this book and we're so excited to discuss it with you today, right? We really are. This is a, it's, it's a huge one. I'm, I'm really fond of the topic for sure. You know, the, uh, we, I think I even, we're so fond of it. I think I even mentioned in the last podcast for you to go out audience and purchase this book. So I'm going to say it again, because this is really a good book and it really helps I would say, Gary, you and I have talked. It's not that we've learned anything new as it details out 
But it's everything that's true. It's everything that's true. So if every person who wants, you know, a manifesto on on how how to speak to this problem that exists in the church, this untruth, these these uh, misconceptions, this book is for you. And if you are exploring your Hebraic roots and just want to know why why should I why should I why is this important, this book is for you absolutely. You know, the premise of the book is that sometimes there are traditions or ideas passed down for centuries or even millennia. They're believed to be true by all the experts, and yet, in fact, they are just plain wrong. This was the case with the Earth-centered theology of the cosmos. Basically, the educated consensus at the time of Copernicus was that all of the observable universe revolved around the Earth. Mm -hmm. But there was one problem with this truth. It's those planets. They simply didn't operate as if this hypothesis were true. In fact, many of the scientists even knew it. They knew it. But they kind of ignored it. They tried to work around it. Exactly. You (laughs) know, and it's this Gary... I would not even have believed that this was as possible as it is if we hadn't just gone through what we did with COVID, you know? You know, I'm so glad you brought that up, Kathy, because, you know, it makes me mad. It makes me angry when we see now all the evidence coming forward and things that we knew to be true or some, some of it maybe we just felt in our gut to be true. You know, there was a frontline doctor's report, and they were one of the ones ostracized for, for being those who questioned the modern science. There was a report that came out just today, and it said it was talking about some of the history of, that, uh, of the virus and the vaccine. Mm-hmm. Do you know that in 1990, that the uh, vaccine did, they, they understood that the vaccine did not work? And the they, mRNA, the mnRNA, and yeah. and and in in twenty in two thousand and two, the University of North Carolina Chapel Hill patented an infectious replication defective. That's that's plain that's plain speak for that is a bioweapon. That was what they patented, and this patent was based on research funded by our dear Dr. Fauci, and only granted after the CDC interve- uh, intervened and pressured the patent office. But get this, and I don't want to spend too much time on this, but you got to hear this. In 2015, a statement by the National Academy of Science reveals one of the true objectives of the vaccine. Listen to this statement. It read, To sustain the funding based beyond the crisis, we need to increase the public understanding of the need for medical countermeasures, such as the pan-influenza or pan-coronavirus vaccine. A key driver is the media, and the economics will follow the hype. We need to use the hype to our advantage to get to the real issue. Investors will respond to see, and we will see profit in the end of the process. So would so, that be follow the money? Follow the money. This, and you know, again, you're seeing all the experts align because of the funding. So I thought it was very related to the topic today, and why you when you brought this up. It's exactly the same thing that was happening back, and this is the early 1500s, mm. uh, when we're talking about all of these science scientists, all of the experts lining up behind an idea, pushing it, even when many of them recognize that it couldn't be at least completely correct. There was something wrong with it. But there was too much pressure to keep going forward. 
There was a lot of pressure. And, you know, for the layman, you know, for anybody in our audience, and I know it was easy for me, I just went on the world meter, Kathy, and I looked at the population and I looked at the number of deaths for coronavirus, and it never, ever exceeded 1% worldwide. Populate world population and, and coronavirus deaths, but they were they were they were cooking the numbers, and they were saying you know amount of cases, and then they were saying right. amount of cases per day. Right. But population wise, it never exceeded one percent. Isn't it's an like I said before a few years ago, I would not have fully understood this um, idea of the consensus um, of the experts idea, mm-hmm. um, but the idea that a consensus doesn't make something true. That is very correct. Right? <laughs> and and so even, so just as we saw, we knew it to be true, we saw it in our own eyes with the coronavirus and the vaccines and the, um, the declaration that it was a pandemic and the unvaccinated, when all of us could see that that was clearly not true. Mm. But when somebody tried to say that, particularly somebody who was from the field of the experts, yes. what happened? They you know, were they were ruined. Some they of them. were ruined, shot down, ostracized, fired. Um, so it was easier once again for you and I outside That's that true. expert system to look at it and go, "Boy, something's not right here." But someone within the system. Wow, that's really hard. And that's exactly, folks, what happened during Copernicus's time. You know, they, the scientists were starting to realize that there's something wrong here. And in fact, you know, Kepler presented a well-argued, consistent version of this new cosmology that was consistent with what Copernicus said. Mm-hmm. Galileo's telescoped. It opened up the heavens, showing that things were inconsistent with the old cosmology, but consistent with what the ideas of Copernicus. So they were starting to see these things, but all of this was, was considered enough. heresy. Right. Yeah, absolutely. That That's exactly the same. You know, we just talked about all those who were shut down for opening their mouths about the coronavirus. And in this, this was no different back then. You know, nothing new under the sun. They were shot down. They were considered complete heretics. In fact, because of that, listen to what Galileo wrote to Kepler, because, you know, he knew what happened to Copernicus. He said, I have for many years been partisan to the Copernican view because it reveals to me the causes of many natural phenomenon that are entirely incomprehensible in the light of generally accepted hypothesis. To refute the latter, I have collected many proofs, but I do not publish them because I'm deterred by the fate of our teacher Copernicus, who, although he had won immortal fame with a few, was ridiculed and condemned by countless people. For great is the number of the stupid. Wow, I love that statement. Exactly. Great is the number of the stupid. The reality is, it was. it's always been the case that experts and authorities will uphold the prevailing view precisely because they are experts. They are experts on the knowledge that has been already been taught. That is what they know. They are the most invested in the, they, they have, they've mo- most invested in the, in time and money and reputation. And, and in the status quo, it's almost impossible for them to get out of that system. They're stuck. Exactly. So that's just like what was happening with Dr. Fauci and friends is we saw sometimes when 
people tried, like I said, to step out mm-hmm. of that system a little bit to have a question. And then almost literally, Gary, we saw it in the news the next day, people would turn around and uh-huh. say, oh, wait, 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 I didn't really mean that. Well, what happened in the meantime? Yeah, you know? yeah. That, that's hard pressure. That's happening right now with the trans- transgender issue. Yeah. Somebody will come out with their common sense statement and you think, oh, wow, it's great. Somebody's actually speaking the truth. And a day later, two days later, they've been pressured because they're going to lose their record contract or their, their you know, whatever. You know, maybe it's a, t- a tennis shoe contract or whatever. And they, and they change their mind. Oh, well, I, you know. And so it's naive. It would be naive of uh, those of us who are non-experts to always conclude that because an expert says something, that that means that that is always true, right? Or because there's a consensus, that means that it's true. It would just be naive of us now, now based on what we know, based on our experience, and based on what we're we're talking about today when the time of Copernicus, Mm -hmm. um, I said it would be naive. stupid to assume that at least without looking at the evidence yourself exactly and that's why uh, we say here on this program the same thing i would say when i was on the pulpit don't take our word for it look it up do your own research that's right you know so the most interesting thing that i found or the the greatest opposition to compare to copernicus Copernicus is that a word? <laughs> to the ideas of Copernicus, right. the greatest opposition came from the church. Go figure. That was wild to me. You know, Copernicus published his new cosmology in 1543, but by 1616, the church had banned all books advocating the reality of the Earth's motion. So they had made it illegal the church would not publish any books about this oh my goodness goodness that's that um censorship that we see today those are the uh, fact checkers that we see on facebook that's existed all the way back all the way back and and, you know there's a uh, the subtitle of the book copernicus and the jews is separation of church and faith I think that's so accurate. I mean, it's really the separation of church and God. Yes. I mean, because we, you know, making making the church the center uh, instead of of God or His Word. They, all the evidence in His Word was there. That's right. You know, so really, the most powerful statement in this book, I, I thought I underlined it. I put yellow highlights, and, and it said, and this was talking about the church, the institution that claimed to uphold God's order in the earth set itself in direct opposition to the reality of God's order throughout the universe. Wow. Yeah, it's that is a powerful statement that was and a it's powerful, so true. Powerful. So the the question is why would the church do this? You know, this was the time of the Spanish Inquisition, and there was general uh, religious intolerance, so to speak. You could not disagree with the religious higher-ups, you know. So there was intolerance, and especially with these scientific theories that sought to repudiate any doctrine, any doctrine that that we or mankind was in the divine 
chosen place at the center of the universe. In fact, Gary, we've talked about this before when we've talked about Greek and Hebrew thinking. Mm. The church held on to the Greek paradigm that sets man at the center of the universe instead of God. And and I think I think what you're you're talking about is so uh, there's no there's no accident here, no coincidence that the fact that it was the Spanish Inquisition time and that the Jews were so persecuted. If if you separate yourself from God, uh, you, you, you're you going to miss it. I mean, you put yourself in, in opposition to God and his plan, then, then the Jewish people then become the opposition. That's right. Exactly. That's that's a good point. I hadn't thought about that before. You know, I was thinking, you know, if man is at the center, right, if that's what the church doctrine held, Mm -hmm. then it's really conceivable that the church or the Catholic church at the time could also occupy that central position. But if God is at the center, then the church really has no hope of occupying this theological center, Mm -hmm. right? Right. Uh, You know, but if man's there... The church can, okay, we can step in. We represent man. We're at the center. Mm -hmm. God, not so much, right? And they recognize that. So they had to maintain this this man-centered, earth-centered cosmology. Very sad. But, you know, the problem was, Gary, it was pretty simple. The earth-centered cosmology idea was wrong. Was wrong. Absolutely wrong. (laughs) And so is the man-centered faith idea. Totally wrong. Mm-hmm. Uh, the the uh, it, it's it's it goes against God's order. So the once again the very institution that claims to represent God's order on earth is in defiance of God's order. You know, God, it's funny you, when you said that it dawned on me when we were in our Torah study Friday night. We were talking about the the things that people find. Uh, irreconcilable with their you know belief in God they're saying you know I, I will not follow they say things like I would not follow a um, genocidal God because God used you know Israel and used other nations to, to bring judgment on sinful nations but that's that's exactly where this comes from is putting man above God our thinking our our mor- morality whatever if you want to call it that ahead of what God considers justice and isn't that idolatry absolutely you know so the ancient tradition of interpretation was plainly wrong and what everyone observed and knew was wrong the entire universe, function differently than the way the most knowledgeable and esteemed experts had taught. It had always functioned differently, but the experts, by the knowledge and esteem that they had commanded, had been able to cover over these facts. Cover over the facts. Boy, wow. nothing new once again <laughs> under the sun. So if you haven't already figured out, why are we talking about this? Why, what does this have to do with Torah? Well, remember, we're always looking looking for patterns. Look for the patterns. This is this is a very significant pattern, <laughs> yes, obviously. The acceptable and prevailing orthodoxy of the church was dead wrong for hundreds of years. And worse, the church actively tried to extinguish any challenges to the prevailing orthodoxy. This error, this lie was only overcome step by step by presenting more accurate data. 
more consistent analysis, and an interpretive cosmology that both explains and predicts the evidence rather than contradicting it. Brave scientists were willing to slowly step out and say, the emperor has no clothes. And oh, you know, I love that, uh, you know, that, that story because it's so true today. You know, and, and that and story, I don't even know if it would be published today, but it was interesting, Gary, you said that because last week I was in an antique store looking for old books. I love old books and yeah. my daughter does too. And I found a book with the emperor. Did you? The, yes. Hans Christian Hans, Anderson, right? Yes. Yeah. And it was there and I was like, I am purchasing this book. I want to have, I don't have a, a, a hardcover book with that story in it. I don't think I do. I, I read it as a child. Yes. And it's and stuck so we're with familiar me. with her, but yeah. I wanted a hard copy of it. Oh, that that's great. Yes. That's great. Yeah, I, I absolutely love that story. It's so appropriate. Um, so the Copernican revolution began with a willingness to face the anomaly of the planetary motion, an anomaly that was inconsistent with an Earth-centered universe. The anomaly is something whose existence is recognized but inexplicable within the prevailing system. An anomaly presents a challenge that cannot be reconciled without departing from that system. There you go. Yeah, it's kind of like when we ask the question, what do you do with this? <laughs> exactly. <Right? laughs> uh, yeah, and, and and what does that normally cause us to do? Dig deeper. That's right. F you know, and try often make an adjustment to the way that we we think. Exactly. But for the experts, as, you, as we said earlier, we're so invested, and I'm sure there were other motivations, did not want to change. So the anomaly that was we were talking about here with the uh, Earth-centered cosmology, theology, whatever you want to call it, was those stubborn planets. Mm -hmm. Now, this is another brilliant idea from the book, and he and so in the book, the the author talks about the word planet comes from a Greek word meaning wanderers. They appeared to wander throughout the sky, which which wouldn't be the case if the Earth was in the center of the universe, but exactly. But but actually, they weren't really wandering. Right. They were actually doing exactly what they were supposed to be doing. It's just that the lens through which the experts were looking, that lens was fuzzy at best, and that lens was broken, actually. Yeah, okay. Yeah. I mean, that's the case. You know, we talked about this in our last podcast, Gary, that when we're discussing, um, we were talking about neurophysiological mechanisms. Mm -hmm. I have to say that slowly to get that all out <laughs> that correctly. Most, most people do, I imagine. <laughs> you know? Um, but it's those mechanisms that our brain develops to help us understand the world. And I encourage you, if you don't know what I'm talking about, go listen to our podcast, The Lizard Brain. Mm. Um, it says it, it, brave, it just will explain, and I'll explain just briefly, um, that ideas, they come into the front part of our brain. We attend to them. We think about them. It might be a new habit. Um, and then after a time, it moves to the back part of our brain and we don't really have to think about it anymore, like driving a car. Mm -hmm. That's like we're talking about this neurophysiological mechanism. And um, as we talked about in our last podcast, that was things that we were learning from Jordan Peterson's pod podcast. But what we also talked about in our last podcast is that as, as we learn something new, we must discard these old mechanisms or at least create higher resolution, correct mechanisms that override them. Mm. We have anytime new information comes in, if it's not consistent with what we already know, 
something has to change in what we already know and understand, Mm -hmm. you know, and this is not an easy thing for human beings to do, to make this change. We call it paradigm shifting. And we talked about in the last podcast, how it does get easier with practice, like Mm -hmm. anything else, right? But we also talked about a term that Jordan Peterson used when he talked about Pharaoh and how he could not get over the idea that he was God. uh, And the only thing that caused him to change or learn new information that he wasn't God was actually bloody trauma, bloody the trauma. death of yeah. his son. And that's sometimes what it gets to is mm. the equivalent of bloody trauma in order for us to learn something new. That's right. And so don't, in our, to our audience, don't wait till it takes bloody trauma. If you, if the spirit of God has been in prompting you to, to investigate, um, listen to our podcast or, and I, and again, I recommend going and getting Copernicus and the Jews. It will change your life if you are stuck in that in, in that paradigm. That they, they thank uh, you. I'm, I, we we care about our audience. We do not want them to experience bloody. Trauma. I would I would prefer they don't. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> we do care about. Them. All right. Let's get back to the planets now. Uh, so in order to get the cosmology right, the old inaccurate cosmology had to be discarded. So here's the brilliant premise behind the book that we're all ta- we're been we've been talking about. The church is currently upholding a system-wide error in theology, just as it upheld the error of understanding the system of the cosmos. In this case, once again, the church has set itself squarely in the middle of God's order. At, at, um, and once again, the wanderers have proven that the ancient church traditions are incorrect. I have to stop there, Kathy, because somehow... <laughs> Somehow I missed it. The wanderers, you know, as I was reading it, I spent my entire life helping the wanderers get home to Israel, right? <laughs> and somehow when I was going through the book the first time, I missed him making this beautiful connection. And th- so I'm pausing here to make sure our audience doesn't miss it. The, the wanderers of today are in direct opposition to the, the the theology of today. That's right. So uh, obviously, once again, audience, if you don't know who these wanderers are yet, um, I, I think you probably do. The, who are the wanderers in church theology? For centuries, the church has maintained that it has replaced Israel in God's plan of redemption for the entire world. The church is at the center of God's system. But what group of people have been understood for centuries to be wanderers? It's the Jews. Mm-hmm. They they have that nickname. In fact, there's a plant called the wandering Jew. I have it in my yard, right? And, yeah. it, and it grows out all over the place. Yeah. No stopping it. It just keeps going, right? Mm-hmm. So... So here's the deal. When the nation of Israel was reborn in 1948, its very presence defied the entire church-centered cosmology. The very existence of the Jews and the fulfillment of the prophecies of their return to the land gravely wounds thousands of years of church traditions. Even the emergence of this Hebraic or Jewish roots movement defies the prevailing church orthodoxy. And we see it every day. How and we it's, how see it's it, and the church fought. digs in against oh, it, right? Oh, my goodness, yes. <laughs> you know, so it's the Jews that are the planets, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, the equivalent of the planets of the Copernican view of the universe. Their existence cannot be denied, and they're clearly operating in a way that is 
inconsistent with strongly held church doctrines. In essence, God's plans are centered on Israel and the Jewish people, and despite a very good effort by the church to deny this, these wanderers are not going away. Therefore, just as the church had to change its paradigm to accommodate the apparent anomaly of the planets, which really wasn't an anomaly, right? Okay, but um, the, the traditional church paradigm for understanding our Bibles, both past, present, and future, it must change to accommodate the anomaly of these wanderers, the Jews. Amen. It has to accommodate that. And we have to, and unfortunately, Gary, the church has resisted to the extent of bloody trauma, it has experienced that. The Jews have experienced they, bloody trauma. They have, and that's why, again, this, you know, we prayed before the program, Kathy, I, I said that this this has got to be at the, the, the near and dear to God's heart because, because of this error, because of this um, arrogance that Paul warned against, um, so many millions of Jewish people have died and 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 very least been persecuted. And you know, so I mean that was not lost on me when reading this book. I, the only thing that was lost was the, that comparison of wanderer, which is brilliant. It's so brilliant. Um, but my gosh, I mean, the, you talk about bloody trauma, it, it, this is not a laughing matter. this is this is so serious, not only uh, for our personal walk with God. But how, how important does God feel about this? I'm glad you're stressing this right now because I think that we have to understand how important, how central this idea is to God. Absolutely. It's not a minor thing. No. It's just like this earth-centered cosmology. It, completely wrong. It's completely wrong. And and like you said, it has caused millions and millions of deaths over the over the years. And so we might look at it as a person sitting in the church and not quite get the heaviness maybe not of, of that. What maybe that means, okay? Not fully understanding this idea of replacement theology, and we're going to talk some more about that, or even the idea that I see, for instance, um, this clear, we all see it, separation between Christians and Jews. And the church doesn't necessarily see that as a bad thing. It's Mm. just separate. You know, we're just separate. But that comes from this, this, this cosmology um, of we're central, right? That right. the church is central. Anything less than that is inferior, yeah. right? So yeah. the Jews are inferior. Once again, Paul to saying, don't be haughty is exactly what we've done. It is. It's a really, really serious matter. This is a big deal. I mean, because some might think, this, oh, this is just another side topic. And I've even heard people say, well, look, all, all I care about is, you know, is, is Christ crucified, right? Wow. Listen, that once again is all about me, 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 me. You know, it's just, oh, as long as I have my salvation, what does that difference? Amen, Gary. I, I, and, and that sounds like heresy to the church, right? Right. When I say amen to that, but, but you're right. That is all about me. It is. It really is. And my, my gosh, I know Yehovah, uh, the God of the universe, the King of the universe, his heart must grieve 
to watch what has, you know, over those last 2,000 years, especially what has been dubbed the church is, is, is responsible. I mean, I'm not talking about just they maybe took part or they didn't, had no action or no, responsible for what we're talking about here, the death and of his children. I want to say something even further, just as long as we're on this track and mm. offending as many people as well, we can offend. Well. <laughs> lots of times people in the Protestant church uh, conveniently put this blame on the Catholic church. Right. And that's, that's, not, not, that's not correct either, because this theology or uh, incorrect theology and doctrine permeates oh, in both Catholic yes. and Protestantism. Yes, the culpability of the Protestant world is, is just as grave. You know, we, we often talk about Martin, Martin Luther being, you know, a, a great reformer, but his his writings, he, 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 he propagated this same hatred Absolutely. for the Jews for, for so many Absolutely. years. So no, the, the church in, in general... Is, is, is culpable. Uh, so, you know, it doesn't matter if everyone in the church believes that the church has replaced Israel, if the experts and the authorities have confirmed it, or even if it seems like common sense, it's simply not true. And the greater problem is that much of the church system theology starts with this error. I mean, we, you know, you get off right. It's like launching. If you you launch a, a, a spacecraft to the moon and you're one degree off, you're going to miss. Yes. Right. By a lot. By a lot, because yes. it's just exponentially going to you're going to miss. So this is what's happened. We launch our theology from this launching pad and we're we are off mm -hmm. and the greater problem is, you know again it starts in error it's going to continue in error from this lie comes the separation of law and grace the idea that the torah has been abolished the substitution of church sanctioned holy days for biblical sanctioned holy days everything is downhill from this church-centered theology error kathy everything it all starts in error, and then it just gets worse from there. And you can't do what they were trying to do in Copernicus's day, is try to tweak it here and tweak it there. Yeah. In, the in, entire premise has to be discarded for the correct biblical premise. That's very, very true, because over the years, and I, and I respect the individuals who have done this, I really do, the churches who say we're supporters of Israel— and we have many, you know, that, that, that help us in the work that Absolutely. we do. And Absolutely. And so I respect that. But I, I trust that, you know, in hearing this, you go deeper because that that's not where it ends. No, it, it, it's it a great starting point. It's a great starting point. It's a point, great though. starting point, but you've got to go further. Yeah. You know, but just as those who challenged the prevailing church orthodoxy back in Copernicus's time, they were ridiculed and condemned. Those who cry out, hey, look, look at the Jews, look at Israel, they exist. They're central to God's plan. We too will be ridiculed and condemned. Mm -hmm. We we should expect really nothing different, no, Gary. And, and we I don't. shouldn't, you know, exactly. <laughs> yeah. This is human nature, it's institutional nature, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, it's not easy to turn a large ship. And Gary, you and I 
have our life's calling mm-hmm. to be involved in the turning of this ship. And of course, God is doing this turning and um, he's using us and he's using a lot of people in a lot of different ways right. um, to do this. But the ship has to be turned back yeah. to true north or whatever, you, however you want to sure. say that. Sure. You know, in our last podcast, Gary read straight from the Copernicus and the Jews book. And I want him to read this particular part again, because it's just was so brilliantly yeah. written. Yeah, it is brilliant, and the and the church needs to hear this. It needs to hear the fact that there is no Christ without Israel, or more accurately, there is no such thing as a Messiah without Israel. He lived in this world as part of Israel. He gave his life as part of Israel, and he will return as part of Israel. By definition, Messiah is the king of Israel, representing defending and ruling over his people. His life is in his people, and the life of his people is in him. This is the correct biblical cosmology. Israel is central. Every other theology idea should be downstream from this high-resolution way of understanding our Bibles. Amen to that. Amen. Amen. You know, think about it. Paul said, we proclaim Messiah, or we often say it, Christ crucified. The Hebrew word Messiah was translated to Greek, okay, Mm -hmm. as Christos or Christ. We know it as Christ. Now, Messiah comes from the Hebrew word Meshach, which means anointed. Um, This word Messiah is defined only by the Hebrew prophets. That was the only way to know whether or not someone is the Messiah is to look back at the Hebrew the Hebrew prophets That's and right. see what they said. The Greeks didn't have any concept or criteria for a Messiah. Neither did the Romans, the Assyrians, the Babylonians. No one in those cultures would have known what a Messiah was. He was defined only within the Hebrew scriptures, nowhere else. Thus, there is no Christ without Israel. That's what he said. Now, in Greek, I I find this interesting. Christos was formed from an existing Greek word, cryo, that -hmm. means, I don't know if I'm saying the Greek as well as I know I'm saying the Hebrew. (laughs) That, That word means to smear like smearing leather strap with oil to keep it from cracking. Mm -hmm. Now, interestingly, Mashiach also comes from a Hebrew word, which means to smear, as in smearing oil. But in the Hebrew culture and history, the word had taken on the idea of anointing as a special calling for a special purpose. It is a concept uniquely Hebrew in nature and uniquely connected with the Mashiach or the Messiah. Amen. So, you know, unless you were referencing the idea of smearing oil on something like your, you know, the the leather straps, you know, before you put them around the horse, <laughs> the term Christos had no meaning to these Gentile Greeks, right? Right. right. There was, there. it would not, they would have had no connection None with it, right? It only had meaning if it were connected to the Hebrew Mashiach and by itself means nothing. Now, this wasn't a problem for the disciples or for Paul, because even when they were speaking in Greek or Aramaic, they were thinking in Hebrew. Mm. A Hebrew person would have no problem understanding the concept of Mashiach, but a Greek person would have to be taught what it all means. And the best way to do that was to use the Hebrew scriptures, the Tanakh, to explain the concept and how Yeshua met the criteria for being the prophesied Messiah. Amen. 
Amen. That, that, that's why so many did recognize him at the time yes. as Messiah. Yes. You know, that's another one of those false premises that the, the, the Jews rejected Jesus. No, they did not. I mean, there's more Gentiles rejected Jesus than Jews ever have exactly. over the course of centuries. Exactly. But thousands upon thousands of Jewish people recognized who he was. That's right, because the, the prophets said, this is what you look for. This is what the Mashiach, the anointed one, would do and how he would appear. And they were like, oh, okay, right. I, I, I got that. They got it. Look yeah. at look at the book of Acts. You see thousands, you know, 5,000 this time, 3,000 that time, multitudes this time. Thousands upon thousands of Jewish people recognized him as Messiah. And, and in all that disciples needed to do was just remind him what was back there and say, Oh, yes. okay, the prophet Isaiah said, or the prophet Joel said, yeah, or the prophet, and then they saw that and they were like, Oh, yeah, you're right. Mm -hmm. you know? He fits it to a T, right? Mm -hmm. You know, also on his cross was written, King of the Jews. <laughs> not king of the Christians. That's This is important. I mean, when we try to eliminate this idea of Jewish connection of Jesus, mm -hmm. it was written king of the Jews. Prophetically, he was defined as the son of the King David. This is what the book of Matthew begins with in detailing his genealogy that connects Yeshua back to the forefathers, King David, and further back to Abraham. Thus, Matthew begins the book of, of, of generations with Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Yeshua was not the son of Apollo no. or the son of Atticus. I mean, you know, there, there was no, no reference in, in, like you said, in Greek thinking to this. How many times have we heard that Jesus was a Christian? I mean, the Messiah... The first could, Christian, but a the, Christian, yeah, yes, Well, right. of course, the first Christian. You know, <laughs> Messiah could not have been the first Christian. If there was, then by, by the definition, he's not Messiah. He had to be king of the Jews, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the son of David. I mean, that's, that is, this is verifiable scripture. We're not making this no, up, we're not. right? No. I mean, the author of the book uh, posits that the, the interesting point that in, co uh, in common English usage, Christ points away from the Jewish people. And in English today, Jesus Christ is not... Excuse, let, me, let me back up. He says that Christ points away from the, the Jewish people. The use of that term, Christ. The use of, the use of that term, Christ, points away. And, and we've seen that, Kathy. We, yes. we know that that to be true. Because in English, in the English today, Jesus Christ is not an equivalent to Yeshua the Messiah, precisely because the two phrases invoke two different historical and cultural and spiritual worlds. That uh, that the the former is entirely Christian, whereas the latter is entirely Jewish. You know, even in the use of that word, Gary, this is something that actually I think is being revealed to me. Even more recently, we've been talking about it some on Friday nights, mm -hmm. is the perpetuation of these distortions and these lies yes. with our language. Once again, we saw how that happened um, in COVID. If you keep saying something long enough, well, certainly it's true, right? right. Yeah, but, sure. that, but that's not, but, but it, it doesn't make it true. And so when even when we're using um, these ideas, the Christ idea is just, uh, the, that word is so separated from Hebrew Mashiach. Right. I'm not saying, and we've said this before, that God can't save us based on a um, very low resolution understanding of, of a Christ or a Savior. Right. 
all of us were saved as that because there's power in what God does, right? Amen. His power in his word. Yes. And I I like what you said, you know, low resolution understanding using Jordan Peterson's words. Low resolution. In other words, babes. Yes. You know, when we're babies, our parents talk to us like babies and we gather information slowly that way. That's That's what happened. We gathered some information low resolution may, may have been, it may, as it was, just enough to help us to realize that we needed a savior. We needed, we needed something and we didn't have it. And that, God, that opened the door and God used that. And I think he uses his word that way. Yeah, I think so too, Gary. And so, but we can't just stay with that ro- low resolution idea. Exactly. That's a starting point. And it was powerful. Okay. It, it, it was, was powerful. powerful. And thank God. Yes. Thank God he opened the door. But, I, you know, Kathy, I just before we move on, I just want to say it might sound like semantics to some, especially those who are not a part of this Hebraic group movement, or maybe even some of our audience who've listened to us for a long time. You know, why are we, why are we dwelling on this point for a moment? Think about it. I'm going to say something that may sound blasphemous as well, but go but for it. I, they, we're saying it's diametrically opposed to God's word, and that the church was a creation by man. It was never intended to be that. Thus, this was a movement. Yeshua led a movement back to His Father. He led his people to have reconciled back to his father. And he opened the door for the Gentiles, just as we, we read back in, in Genesis that this would be about a, a kahal goyim, that would be the Gentiles would come into this gathering. We would join Israel, but we created a system, a, 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 an institution yes. that should never have been created. And that, again, might sound blasphemous. And there are many who are, who are sitting in churches today who are God, love God and are supporters of Israel. And I'm speaking to you and, and saying, I, I love that and I admire that and I'm grateful for that. But just be, be aware of what, where the church came from and the era that it was founded on. That's right. And that's big. I mean, that's, that's, and it's heavy. I'm going to, I'm going to lighten the load here a little bit for a little bit, you know, (laughs) because in the midst of, um, all, you know, like I said, God's really been revealing what we're talking about right now. It's been really revealing and talking to my heart about it. But in the midst of all of this, my husband and I are, you know, always looking for something to watch on TV. So we were watching reruns of All in the Family, okay? <laughs> and, of course, you know, Ar- Archie Bunker, he's portrayed as the quintessential bigot, mm-hmm. um, although he's kind of lovable and a laughable one, right? Okay, everybody likes him. But I hadn't realized that there were so many references to Jews in that series. So in one episode, it might have been episode one, but it was like one of the first uh-huh. two or so. Um, someone suggesting that Archie may be a Jew, and they asked him, what were your mother and father's names? To which he replied, Sarah and David. Okay, big <laughs> laugh line, right? right. Huge laugh line. Right. Now, while our, that person caught Archie kind of off guard, he replied, those are perfectly respectable Bible names. The Bible doesn't have anything to do with the Jews. Wow. Right there in Archie Bunker is exactly what we're talking about. Exactly. You know? And and, 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 and I laughed, you know, I laughed at his ignorant comment. But as we talk about this, I'm like, there's 
lots of people today in the church who would agree with that. They they wouldn't have seen the humor. They would. I seen mean, humor. obviously, it was brilliant. It yes. was it was humor, and it was show it was shown to, to or used to show how ignorant he was, and yet. Many in the church would have gone, huh? Yeah, exactly. Why are they laughing? Why? Why is that so funny? Yeah, you know, I. So, so okay. Just to reinforce it, and I think this is why I said God's showing me something here, right? Mm -hmm. So I watched those the, that episode and multiple ones because it actually the theme stays there, mm -hmm. right? And then I had a few different incidents happen in my life with people that I know, and one was now all of these incidents involved people who claim to be Christian. Okay, so keep that in mind. All right. Mm -hmm. So first, uh, my sister had neighbors uh, that she went out to dinner with. And in the course of the discussion, there was comments made that about the Jews running the world. Okay, this idea, Gary, is one of those downstream ideas yes. going all the way back to Jesus, the Jews are Christ killers, right? It, it, it's a ways downstream. But not really, not that far, okay? But it goes back to that. Sure it does. It has you know? its roots there. Then I had a, a friend come over, and he told me about another Christian friend who, as we just said, insists that Jesus was the first Catholic. Mm -hmm. And he goes, even though we talk about this, and we talk about him being the Lion of Judah, and you know, and all of these things that we, we've been talking about, he said, will not change his mind. There's that lizard brain that yeah, we were talking yeah. about last week. Deep trench. The worst of all was my daughter and son-in-law, and they encountered a, a, a very intense Christian, and I'd say a Christian anti-Semite, who insisted that not only had the Jews been cut off from God, but they had been cut off and burned, that was his specific words, and had no chance of redemption. Wow. The entire world, besides the Jews, wow. had a chance to be redeemed, oh my but God. not the Jews. Now, this was a man who claims to be a Christian. And yes, he could have been, I think there was a screw loose, right? And, but, but he still had doctrine and theology inside of him. Oh. Okay. That, that kind of promoted these, this, yeah. this kind of thinking. Okay. So I'm not saying that this thinking promotes this extremism in every single person i'm not saying that but it does come from somewhere oh yeah and and just if we pause and just think about that statement for a moment if god could break his promise his covenant promise with the jewish people then do we really have confidence that he could break it he couldn't break it with us I mean, he he made an eternal, everlasting, unconditional promise with Abraham, and it passed down through Isaac and Jacob and to the descendants of Israel. And yet, if this man th thinks that they've they've been cast aside, like right. many do, yes, that's that's replacement theology that's in right. a nutshell. One hundred and one. Then we, what hope do we have that that's God right. couldn't change His mind? You know, things aren't the, the, uh, very. You know, when you look around you in the United States today. Are we really a godly nation? No. So what's to say God isn't just going to cast us aside That's too? Right. That's, That's right. the problem. I've heard I've heard these things too, Kathy. I mean, I had somebody in a in a business meeting that we had at the church because you know that's one of, one of those times where you discuss the agenda and the and the the mission and the vision of the church. And somebody who should have known better, been there for years and years and years. Well, what is it about all this 
Jew stuff. Yes. Those were the well, words. They that. made the back the hair on the back of my neck stand mm. up because it came it felt like it came from the pit of hell. Yes. And I and it's not the first time I've heard something like that. And um I even one other little bit more lighthearted I was getting my hair cut one day and we were, I was talking to to the hairstylist about you know what I do and somebody overheard she was another hairstylist and she said um I heard about this group called Jews for Jesus isn't that a contradiction in terms oh my goodness <laughs> that's what she said oh my and I, goodness. but see that again it's this is a prevailing that's that downstream idea yeah it's yeah. a downstream idea yeah. you know sometimes people within the church they may recognize that Jesus was a Jew right? in his historical past context, tense. right? Yeah. Past tense. But really, Gary, that's a far cry from recognizing that he is a Jew, mm. okay? Not to mention that he clearly said in Matthew 15, 24, that he was sent only for the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Amen. Amen. That's, that's, a, that's one of those, what do you do with this? What do you, you do, do with that? <laughs> and what do you do with the covenants? Not to mention the covenants, including the renew, renewing of the covenant that was made with Israel, Jeremiah 31. It's very, very clear. And I love the point that he makes in the book. I mean, it could not be the church that, that broke this, this covenant that God made with them at Sinai and then is being renewed by God. It wasn't the church. It wasn't the church. church. And it couldn't have been Jesus either. It wasn't I mean, Jesus, the Trinity. Points. It wasn't anybody. No, it couldn't have been any. It had to be Israel. I mean, let's let's read Jeremiah thirty-one. This is so I love Jeremiah thirty-one. Yeah, we have to yeah. because it's so clear. Behold, days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Mm -hmm. I mean, that doesn't say with the church or with mm -hmm. Jesus. Not like the covenant with, that I made with their fathers on the day that I took them out by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant, which they broke. Although I had been, I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant which I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them and write it on their heart, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. It's so clear. You have to do contortions to try to twist that to say that that was made to anybody else but Israel, the house of Israel, the house of Judah, and the house of Israel. So is it, and you just wonder, is that just ignorance i think a lot of it is ignorance my people are destroyed by lack of knowledge yes. you know that kind of idea but even so i would say ignorance of what uh the of the tanakh okay that's the genesis through malachi mm. but even in the in the you know, I liked what this author called what we say is the New Testament. And once again, I'm a little uncomfortable now, Gary, with Old and New Testament yeah, idea. Yeah, we've been talking about this. Yeah, what you call it that because that old implies, you know, it's old right. and done away with. I, I have a problem with that kind of wording. He uses Messianic scriptures. Mm -hmm. um, I, I like that. There could be some other ideas, okay, of what to call that. But in Ephesians 2, you know, Paul said the only way we can benefit from God's covenants including this new or renewed covenant that Gary just read about, okay, in Jeremiah 31, which was made with Israel. Um, the only way that we can benefit from them is to join Israel, Amen. you know, join the covenant, join the commonwealth. So Ephesians 2, remember that you were at that time separate from Christ, excluded from the people of Israel and strangers, strangers to the covenants of the mm -hmm. promise, having no hope and without God. 
But now in Christ Jesus, Yeshua HaMashiach, okay, mm-hmm. you who were once far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ, Mashiach. Very, you know, we often accuse Paul of being very wordy, but he is very, very clear here. Yes. Very clear. No hope without God. That is who we are as Gentiles who have not joined ourselves to Israel through the Messiah. Mm-hmm. Period. No. I, you, I don't know how clearer to say that. <laughs> no hope. Outside. We're done. That's right. We're toast. Yes, no, Paul without, said it Without well. the Messiah of Israel. And that's how we come in. I mean, you know, I, this, there's a beautiful quote in the book, Kathy, and I'm glad, you know, we, I, I love the fact that we both read this recently, and it's just so, so, um, it, it just conjures up so much emotion, mm-hmm. because we've seen the results of, of the lack of understanding of this. But there's this story, there's a story about a rabbi whose student came to him saying, Master, I love you. And the rabbi asks tenderly, do you know, you do you know what hurts me? And the student was taken aback and he says, what do you mean do I know what hurts you? And the rabbi said, unless you know what hurts and grieves me, you can't possibly love me. Wow. Mm-hmm. Think about that. I mean, we've been talking during this podcast about how much it grieves and hurts the heart of God to have his people persecuted and even killed i mean and and it's slaughtered in massive numbers you so if we love our god jehovah the king of the universe we need to know what hurts him and we're talking about what hurts him we've separated ourselves from him and separated ourselves from his people absolutely you know that and and defiantly so um, from the very beginning um, uh, creating these doctrines in opposition clear opposition of clear what the opposition says. for 2,000 years 2,000 years Messiah has been the blood has been trampled as his brethren the Jews have been persecuted tortured and driven out of countries and killed in the name of Jesus Christ literally killed in the name of Jesus Christ literally talk about what grieves Yahovah that grieves Yehovah. Killed in the name of Could Yeshua you Hamashiach. It, it is it's talk. It talk about straight from the pit of hell. I, I think I think I, I can tell we're both at this place where we want to drive this point home, <laughs> because because it is such in such opposition to Yehovah Himself. We claim to love. We we in our Christian theology say we love God. We love the Lord, mm-hmm. and yet. We have a history of acting in not only just direct opposition, in horrific opposition to what is what what is important to him. And and we may not have been the ones that put the Jews in the gas chambers, right? right. I didn't do that. I don't think right. I had any relatives who did that. But we are part of a body that was responsible for that to do that, um, for doing that. And you know, clearly the Bible talks about you know, individual guilt and collective guilt, the nation of Israel. It wasn't that every single Israelite 
was guilty of idolatry and all of these things, but they held collective guilt and they were punished collectively. That's right. right? God hasn't changed in that, Mm -hmm. you know? And, and so, you know, as believers, we need to really think about that and repent on behalf of this body of believers that we are part of. That's just so important. You know, a lot of people, Gary, just don't know the history of the church, you know, you know, the early followers of Yeshua, they recognized that Israel was prime, was the primacy of Israel, the Jewish people, in God's plan of redemption. But as more and more of the Gentiles came into the faith uh, in Jesus, this paradigm started to shift. Mm-hmm. Now, there was one early church father, and I do like to quote sometimes directly from the church fathers, because you can hardly drive the point home better than just hears their words. Origen was one of the first to set an erroneous foundation of biblical interpretation by looking at the Bible as allegory rather than history. So that's that's interesting. We're not going to talk about that a lot today, but that that's important. That causes a lot of problems. According to Origen's interpretations, Israel was rejected by God and his covenant with them was nullified because of their rejection of Messiah. Now, this lie, as we've already said, bred another lie that is still advanced today, that the church is the true Israel and has replaced the Jewish nation in God's sight. According to this deceptive theology, all of Israel's promised prophetic blessings and covenants now belong solely to the church. Mm. And in fact, there's no need for Israel. Wow, you know, and 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 so many of the church fathers propagated this lie. Yes, they did. I, another one was John Chrysostom. You know, he's he's still praised as a dynamic preacher of truth, nicknamed the Golden Mouth, and he's he's revered by as a church father. I mean, I I saw it when I was studying to be credentialed. They, they, this was, you know, they quoted him all the time. But listen to what he said: the synagogue is worse than a brothel. It is a den of scoundrels and a repair of wild beasts, the temple of demons devoted to idolatrous cults, the refuge of brigand and debauches, and the cavern of devils. It is the criminal assembly of Jews, a place of meeting of the assassins of Christ, a house worse than a drinking shop, a den of thieves, a house of ill fame, a dwelling of iniquity, the refuge of devils. Wow. Regarding the Jews, he goes on. The regarding of Jews themselves, I would say the same thing about their souls. And so, as for me, I hate the synagogue. I hate the Jews for the same reason. Wow! Is this not the same attitude that is alive and well and demonstrated in varying degrees in comments that the Jews control the world, the Jews have been cut off, burned, and and no ability to be redeemed that you just heard? Is it any different? This is the this is where it comes from. Absolutely, alive and well in 2023. That's right. Mm. That's right. You know, so we really can't stress how important it is to understand that the church has created a Jesus in their own image. The church has repeated the cosmology error that Copernicus identified. It has placed itself at the center of the Bible and at the center of God's plans of redemption for mankind. We have discarded the Torah observant son of Abraham, son of David, foretold by the ancient Jewish prophets. We claim allegiance to a Christ who is divorced from his nation and his people. 
Now, while we may never utter the words Christ killer or engage in blatantly anti-Semitic acts, it is our deeply held theological doctrines that gave birth to this hideous behavior in the past, present, and Gary, even into the future. Unfortunately, it's not going anywhere 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 anytime soon. Each time you find yourself saying the Old Testament and the New Testament, we're using terminology that stems from this error, implying, like I said earlier, that old is bad and new is good. Mm -hmm. When we argue that we are not under law but under grace, we're promoting an idea that stems from this error. When we say, but those commandments were given to the Jews, we are reinforcing this error. We do not recognize or acknowledge that it is us, the Gentiles, who are grafted into the olive tree of Israel, as Paul illustrates in Romans 11. And we have done exactly what Paul warned us not to do. We have become haughty toward the natural branches of the olive tree. This is what hurts God. And we as individuals and as a corporate body of believers in Israel's Messiah need to repent and turn from these ideas and paradigms that bring pain to our Heavenly Father. Praise God that he chose a people through whom he would redeem the world and praise God that he allowed his only son to be sacrificed on the cross so that we who are not Israel can join Israel and benefit from the promises and the blessings. This is what the Apostle Paul meant when he was talking about God creating one new man in Ephesians 2. He did this to create in himself one new man out of the two, thus making peace and reconciling both of them to God in one body through the cross by which he extinguished their hostility. The correct biblical cosmology is one with Israel and the Jewish people existing firmly in the center of God's redemptive plans for the universe. Let's all be like Copernicus and dare to challenge the errors. Shalom, everyone. Thank you for listening. Please join us next time on Torah Talk.